God, grab our attention now as we open your word. Help us to focus in on you and what you would have for us and to grasp the significance of a life that has lived for you on this earth that proclaims thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Help us to be aware of it and respond to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I wanna say to those of you who might be visiting with us today or watching online for the first time how grateful we are to have you as our guest. And uh, we would encourage you to connect with us. You can do that by stopping by one of the welcome tables on your way out this morning, or you can text the word CONNECT to the number that you will see on the screen, and one of our team members will follow up with you this week. Uh, in addition to that, today is our Discover Bayshore lunch, which will take place at 1215 in the Fellowship Hall. You can ask any of our greeters for directions if you don't know where that is. And it's just an opportunity to get a free lunch and to hear a little bit about who we are as a church and ask any questions that you might have for us. I also encourage all of our church family to join us tonight at our Vision Night. We do this annually where we celebrate God's goodness to us as a church and talk about where we believe he is leading us. In addition to that, we will take a moment to uh, reflect on those who uh, went to be with the Lord from our church family in 2021, uh, which is always a special time. We'll have a special time of worship and communion. And then afterwards, there's a nacho bar. So, I mean, no excuse not to come. So we would love to see you uh, tonight. Uh, today, we're actually taking a one-week break uh, from our series, New Year, Same Truth, and our verse-by-verse -verse walk through the Gospel of Mark to take a day to focus on the vision of our church. And since we've called tonight Vision Day, we're calling, I mean, Vision Night, we're calling this morning Vision Day. We're a very creative bunch around here. Uh, if you grew up uh, with a charismatic background, then the phrase Vision Day might carry a lot of baggage for you. Uh, but we are not focusing on what a man sees for the church, but rather on what Jesus sees for the church. In fact, I should mention that my hatred, and yes, I am using that word hatred intentionally, for how men in positions of leadership have made the vision and the direction of the church so centered around them, potentially causes this to be a great weakness for me as I try to lead the church. Because casting vision, I often feel like I'm trying to get people to do things that Jesus is the reason enough to do them. And so it's very difficult for me to say, I need to be inspiring, I need to be captivating, and I need to figure out a way to articulate the vision. But it is true that vision is powerful. It's true that visionary leadership is powerful. And I know that it's important, so I'm working on it. But I wanna be clear. Our vision is Jesus's vision. So it is imperative to me that as a church, we aren't centered around the ambitions of one leader who is in a position for a season, regardless of how long that season may last, and that we aren't looking to what brings practical success or even just builds a crowd to the neglect of what is biblically faithful and builds the church of Jesus Christ. So what we should do is we should ask, what does God want for his people? And what does that mean for this group of people here and now? What does God want for his people, all of his people? And what does that mean for this group of people here and now? The vision of this church now, the vision of this church for the last 111 years, and the vision of Jesus's church since he empowered her is what Jesus wants for us. 
You can flip your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. And in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, we see Jesus's vision for the church. As you find your place there, I do wanna say that uh, there are a lot of ways that you can be engaged in helping us carry out our vision and mission as a church. And one of the things you can do is work for our church. And we actually have three uh, job openings. Uh, one is for a summer uh, internship. So this is for uh, graduating seniors or college students who um, have a heart for ministry and just wanna be more immersed in uh, church leadership and church culture. We would love uh, if you or someone you know is, uh, will be posting about that. Also, uh, our student minister, Alec Ammons, uh, needs an assistant. I didn't mean like he's not doing a good job and he needs an assistant, but there's a position to help him. And then also, uh, we have a position of communications assistant, which is uh, to help Pastor Justin with our communications. Uh, you can find information about those job openings on our website. Uh, and uh, again, we'll be posting more about that this week. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20 tells us, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. These are the last words in the Gospel of Matthew. This takes place right before the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Now, I want you to think about what's going on here. Jesus, the disciples walked with him. They saw him crucified. Then they saw him resurrected. And so they're on a mountain top with Jesus. Now, as a Christian, we often define our life by these mountaintop experiences we have. I cannot think of an instance in which you would literally have more of a mountaintop experience than being on the mountaintop with the resurrected Jesus who's about to ascend into heaven. And Jesus tells those disciples, don't stay here on the mountain. Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus here is not giving them new instruction. He is commissioning them to be a part of what has always been God's plan. In the book of Genesis, the book of origins, God establishes a covenant with a man named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham, or if you grew up in church, you know him specifically as Father Abraham, who had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And God establishes a covenant with Abram, and tied to his covenant is God's purpose. Genesis 17, 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. From the beginning, of God having a covenant people. His desire was clear. His plan was established. He was going to use his people to multiply his people. That is to say, the heavenly father wanted more and more children. And he was going to do this through his children. A few chapters later, we see God doubling down on this promise to Abram, now called Abraham, Genesis 22, verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Notice here that Abraham is willing to give up Isaac for the Lord, and after this, God's response is, now that we know who you are, I am going to use you to bless the nations. 
I promised you offspring. You trusted me. And now I will give you offspring, but in a way that you could have never imagined. Now you will not only be a blessing to people with your last name or your nationality, but you will be a blessing to all the people of the entire world. And if there is any confusion about God's purpose and what God was doing in and through Abraham, read, <coughs> excuse me, what Paul said in his explanation of these passages in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. Paul says, no, then that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That was God's plan all along, to have a people not marked by race or nationality or geography or culture, but marked by the name of God. God would tell Moses that he desired to have a kingdom of priests. The priesthood was set up because of the sin of man, but God desired for all people of his kingdom to have access to him. God's desire was not for Israel to have a king and become this nation. His desire was for them to be a kingdom of priests who listened to the word of God and did the word of God and who God spoke through prophets and judges, and yet God gave them a king because of their sin. You see, this is the gospel, that the good news of your status with God is not tied to any of these things, but it's tied to the heart of God. And this is what God has always wanted to be known. And just in case you didn't know, the hymnal is pretty new. For a long time, the church just sang the Psalms. If someone argues with me that they think we should only do traditional music, I am open to that debate, of course, if their point is that we only sing the Psalms, which have been around for 3,000 years, not the modern music of the hymnal, which has only been around for two to 400 years, and for the most part has been limited to white English-speaking people until recently. So they sang songs, and, and many of uh, God's people, some of you guys are still hanging on to that today, so let me slow down for a second. So they sang songs, and when they sang in Israel and in the history of the church, they sang the Psalms, and much of what they sang about was the increase of God's glory. Look at Psalm 96, verse three. It says, this is a song. Declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples. You see, as Israel and as the church throughout history sang, they sang about the increase of the glory of God. As Israel increased around the time that the Psalms were written, they sang these songs with the desire that God's glory would increase as a result of their increase. Later, when Israel was in exile and captivity, they hoped that God would show who he was to the world that was not seeking him, and they sang about that. But as you flip through the pages of the Old Testament, you see that Israel struggled with obedience to God, with struggle with idolatry, and therefore their impact on the nations was constantly wavering. But the plan of God would happen. And the offspring of Abraham, who would bring about the ultimate fulfillment of God's will, would be born according to all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus showed us the clearest picture of who God is and what God was willing to do to have a people for himself from all nations. And after his resurrection, he gave this commission to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. And he says he will be with us as we do that. The desire of God continues 
for his church today. Disciples, people who commit to follow Jesus and his teaching. Disciple was the language of Jesus' day. A disciple followed a rabbi and his teaching and believed that that rabbi knew the way to righteousness. A disciple of Jesus knows that Jesus is the way to righteousness. That's our position with God and the direction of our life. And like Abraham would have children, Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers, would have disciples who became children of God. And if you keep reading the Bible, you see that this is what heaven will be like. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 says this. In John's vision, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits from the same geographical region, the same race, or even hold to the same political ideals. This is people who are united around the throne of Jesus because Jesus, because he is worthy of our worship and he is worthy of our surrender and he is worthy of our life. And so if we are following him, if we are his disciple, if we are his child, then we are becoming more and more like him. And he wants his glory to increase more and more. And he wants more and more people to call upon his name and see that he is the way and he is the truth and he is the life. And so we should ask, what does God want for his people? And what he wants for his people is his glory among the nations. And so what does that mean for this group of people here and now? A quote I heard from Bob Roberts Jr. about 10 years ago really shaped the way I look at the church. And, and this is what he wrote in his book, Transformation. He said, the two questions every church needs to ask today are how are we producing, our, excuse me, how are we producing disciples and what kind of disciples are we producing? The two questions that every church needs to ask today, how are we producing disciples and what kind of disciples are we producing? This is why we have a mission and vision statement. This is why we do what we do because we are called to make disciples. So our mission statement is to do whatever it takes to lead people to believe in Jesus, belong to God's family and become who he's created them to be. And we believe that if people believe in Jesus, they're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They belong to God's family because we see in, in the life of Jesus, disciples learning from him and following him and being accepted. We see the New Testament is about the local church. A lot of people think you can be this Lone Ranger Christian, and that's just not, I'm not saying you can't be saved, but that's not obedience to God. We're a part of God's family, and we become who he's created them to be, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And if we do that, then we will impact the world for Christ. And so what we do is we say, so what does it look like then for people to be disciples? And that's why we have what we call our discipleship, discipleship essentials. They, hopefully, if you've been in one of our life groups, these are on the wall, and there's not like a potted flower hanging over it or something like that. And we have an image of them. Hopefully, it's on the screen, and it shows you. These are our discipleship essentials. What we're saying is if every believer... If every member of our church was doing these things, we'd be pretty healthy. If we were people who worship God, you know, not just come together to sing about God, but we were worshipers. And so our corporate worship, our gathering together was because we are worshipers. If we were growing, we were students of the word. Praise God, we know of at least 330 people who have signed up for our Bible reading plan this year. That's incredible. And I, and I believe that there are more, and there are more reading the Bible on their own 
So we grow as students of the word and then we come together to be shaped and strengthened as we study the word together. We serve. We're people who Jesus said the son of man did not come to be served but to serve. So if we're like Christ, we are servants everywhere we go. And of course, we're gonna serve our church family as we believe in what it's trying to do. We give because God has given us an inexpressible gift. And so we're generous people. When we talk about giving to the church sacrificially, that's just the basement of our generosity. We give beyond that. And then we reach people with the gospel because we've been commissioned by Jesus to do that, to live sin. If we're all doing this, if we're all attempting to do this, I should say, because we're gonna fail at it, but God's grace is sustaining us along the way, then we will continue to see more people believe and belong and become. And so that's how we're making disciples. But what kind of disciples are we producing? And that's why we have as a church what we call value statements. Again, hopefully these are on the wall and they're not graffitied up. Um, and, and I'm just gonna go through these quickly, but they just help us say this is the kind of people and kind of church we wanna be. One of our values is that Jesus is not a part of life. He is life. Jesus isn't somebody we talk to one hour a week or when things are going bad or we did when we were eight or 10 years old. Jesus is who we think about all the time. We wake up in need of Jesus. It's the filter through which we see our job, our parenting, everything that we do. Jesus is not a part of life, he is life. We don't just wanna grow our church, we wanna build his kingdom. Our goal is not just to be the biggest church in town, our goal is to make a difference in the kingdom of God. That begins with praying for and partnering with other churches in our town, and it means giving ourselves away so that the gospel will go forth in regions beyond. If our goals don't require dependence on God, they aren't big enough. We actually wanna have faith in God. We wanna trust God to do something that only he can do and really lean into him out of desperation for him to do it. Programs do not make disciples. People make disciples. Programs are a great tool. They're a great tool that connect people. Jesus did not say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations using your favorite children's ministry program. He said, uh, he just said, go and make disciples. And the reality is programs are a great tool, but it's really the people who love Jesus, who are trying to make disciples, that make disciples. We prioritize the one over the 99. We realize the church always shifts towards an inward focus, as does any organization, and we need to continually keep our mind on the fact that there are people who we need to focus on who don't know the hope that we have in Christ. The church doesn't do missions. We are on mission. We are all called to live sent. We takes priority over me. You may be surprised to know that we do a lot of things as a church that I wish we didn't do. They're not my preference. And if you feel the same way, then let's have coffee and wine about it and get over it because the body of Christ is more important than my personal preferences. The focus of every generation is the next generation. Every generation must not be most concerned with how we wanna do church, but what engages the generation that is coming beyond us if we're gonna be serious about making disciples. Our changing world needs the unchanging word. The tendency of church in America today is to change the gospel, to change devotion to the word because it'll attract more people and it's more relevant to more people, but people need the word of God. And everything that we do, we do it well and strategically for the mission of God, which means we're not just gonna give to missions to feel good and do missions to feel good and do programs to feel good, but we're gonna evaluate, are these actually producing 
disciples? Are these things working? And we're gonna have conversations about it. So that's our vision and our mission and our values. And we can talk more about that. I just skimmed over that. But what I wanna talk about more is this. I probably knew before I was a Christian that being a part of being a Christian was missions. People knocked on my doors at my house of our non-church family. I've seen videos about spreading the word in Africa. And I knew that at least one of the reasons for the Crusades was to spread the name of Christ. And as I became a Christian, I knew that missions was something that was important. And I was even willing to be a part of spreading the gospel globally. Shortly after being serious about God's plan for my life, I went to China for a couple weeks in between uh, semesters at college. But it wasn't until I really dug into the world, word that I began to really understand the motivation for missions. You see, worship is the goal of missions. We as believers have tasted and have seen the glory of God and we know the goodness of God. So we live our lives saying we want to see more and more of that on earth and as that flows through us, we are intrinsically connected to help others see how good God is and live their lives in response to that in the same way we do. A young child with a good dad thinks their dad is the best at everything. When they start hitting about nine, they don't anymore. But before that, they do. And they are not shy about telling others that their dad is the strongest or the funniest or that their dad can beat your dad. This is how we as Christians should be about God. He is so good and we just cannot help but talk about it because unlike our heavenly father, he truly is better at everything. And we truly are unconditionally loved by him no matter what. But here's the catch. There are those who do not have God as their dad. They don't have a dad that really loves them and really gives them security and their hope is in the wrong thing. And ultimately, whether it is on earth or in judgment, they will be disappointed at where they place their hope and their security. And so missions is our way of saying what I know about God and about what God wants for you cannot be kept to myself. I have tasted and I have seen the glory of Jesus Christ and I want everyone to taste that same joy and see that same joy and the name of Christ to be lifted higher. John Piper puts it this way, missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. The reason that we are on mission is because there are people who are not worshiping God. All too often, I think, that when we talk about missions, we talk about going to Central America for a week, or we talk about going and building a house or a church building somewhere, or we talk about some special people. Now, I'm not saying those aren't all good things, but if we are followers of Christ, if we are children of God, if we are people who will dwell with him in heaven forever, then we should be becoming more and more like him. And our heart should be growing more and more like his. And I would say that many, if not most, professing Christians operate more like philanthropists with religious conservative values and just try to feel good about giving to something or volunteering for something every once in a while. And when they talk about missionaries, we think about a special group of people who have a calling that we do not. Missionaries are not a select group of people. All Christians are missionaries. I do think, based on my reading of scripture and my familiarity with the history of the church, that God calls specific people 
who are gifted in evangelism to relocate in order to carry the gospel of Christ to places where there is less witness of his name. But every single one of us is called to live sent. Every single one of us is called to live our life to help others see the name of Jesus Christ can be trusted. And churches that have a true and direct global impact are churches who out of the overflow of what God is doing in and through them in their families and in their local community, extend their hearts beyond their zip code. Since the beginning of the church, God has used local churches who have an abundance to strengthen the efforts of those who need resources to take the gospel in their community. Those who are doing new works and those who are in areas where there is less money. You see, that's why we gather here today. Over 100 years ago, some believers in the big city of Defuniac Springs saw Boggy Bayou as destitute and without much gospel witness and decided, decided to start a church that would eventually become this church today. That DNA carried our church for the last 111 years to eventually plant churches in our community and in places like New Orleans and Boston. That is why the cooperative program has been a part of our budget for a long time, contributing significant amounts to the cooperative efforts of Southern Baptists to spread the gospel on our continent and beyond. That is why we have supported many missionaries over the years, such as the Hamiltons in Mexico and Laura Jones and Uganda, the indigenous pastors in India and the Stokes family in India as well today. And I believe that God is calling us to keep this going. I believe that God is calling us to do whatever it takes to see many people in the Niceville area believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who he has created them to be. And that as we do that, it will overflow into impacting the world, of, world for Christ. And we will be a church who not only honors our legacy, but multiplies the legacy we have as a church. In 3 John verse 5 through 8, it says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. May it be said of us that we are faithful in what God is doing in our community and we are faithful in sending people out to carry the gospel because they have our support. In 2021, we sent over 30 people and began a six-figure financial commitment playing a pivotal role in the planting of a new church in fast-growing Freeport. And I believe that we can play a pivotal role in the planting, revitalization, or relaunching of struggling and dying churches in our area. We have a renewed commitment to the adoptive and foster care uh, ministry uh, that has existed for a long time in this church, working with organizations like Florida Baptist Children's Home, One More Child, over the years. And I believe that young lives are and will be changed through this heart and this emphasis. We cannot overlook the fact that we gave $627,000 to missions and outreach efforts in 2021. We need to ensure that our efforts are efficient and effective and that our partners are held accountable. And I believe as we do that, God will give increase here so we can see ourselves eventually giving over $1 million a year annually to missions and outreach as we aim for that goal of a 50-50 budget. 
we formed a, a discipleship ministry leadership team and a community outreach ministry leadership team to place an emphasis and put people around the table to talk about how we are making disciples and what kind of disciples we are making and how we as a church family are engaged in the community and how our people are equipped to live sent. Now, as I talk about this, you might think, well, what about the upkeep of our facilities and what about our members and the programs we have? And I can't answer all those questions about the future. I know that we can't let our facilities become outdated again. We have to build each other up and there are costs associated with these things. But here's what I'm asking for us to do. As individuals and as a church, Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. As an individual, you have goals, you have needs. I'm not saying they're not real. I'm not saying they're not important. But seek first the kingdom of God and trust that God will take care of you. As a church, we have things that need to be done around here. But may we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that God will take care of us as we do. Let's trust that if we are about the kingdom of God, God will guide us and direct us and add the rest to us. This comes from an overflow of us all, prioritizing the kingdom of God and realizing the value of the kingdom of God. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43 through 46, that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He says in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. These two illustrations that Jesus give us are to show us the value of the kingdom of God and what it is like to become a Christian. When you understand the kingdom of God, you understand the value of everything else in your life in relationship to the kingdom of God and you rightly are willing to give it all up for the kingdom of God. It becomes the priority. And it's not a sacrifice. It's a joy because you know the value of the kingdom of God. I, I think we've let, lost in our culture today a culture of honor where we really, you know, honestly want to put things above ourselves. I'm not saying in this group, but even, you know, across our nation and some of our military and service industry, there's not the same spirit that once existed. And, 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 and in the days of the greatest generation, in the days where people would lay their life on, down, down for what was their honor, David Livingston, a missionary, said this, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? The king who could make the rocks cry out on his own has said, I want you to be a part of people coming to bring me glory. We are invited into that. That is not a sacrifice, that is an honor. But you cannot commend what you do not cherish. You cannot proclaim what you do not prize. You see, it's our worship that is the fuel for our missions. It's understanding how great God is and how valuable it is that people know his greatness that then leads us to say, hey, we'll give up 
We'll give time, we'll give energy, we'll give resources for that. You know, our baptism numbers are going up. Our life group numbers are going up. The number of children and students who are part of our church is going up. And each of those numbers represent a person. A person who is hearing that they can believe in Jesus and belong to God's family and become who he's created them to be. And that is why this is worth it. Thursday evening, my friend Dave, many of you knew him, went to be, he, he passed away from this earth. He's in his 60s. Over the past year and a half, his health had just declined drastically. And Thursday night could have been a sad night. And it's still gonna be hard for his family and his friends, but it could have been a sad night. But I wanna show you a picture of Dave from January of 2020. In our baptistry, Dave brought his grandson who was living with him at the time to be a part of our children's ministry on Sunday night at that time. People befriended him, invited him to church, and Dave started coming eventually on Sunday morning, and he eventually went to a life group, and as he went to that life group, some of those in that life group heard him say, I don't know anything about the Bible. I've never read the Bible, and they invited him into a men's group that was going through the book of Genesis at six o'clock in the mornings at Panera, and Dave came to realize that even though he had lived a life in many ways apart from God, God was calling him to himself. And so Thursday night was a night of joy as Dave went to be with his father who is in heaven. And church, God's rescuing people is bigger than us, but God used this church family to do that. That's why giving our energy and our time and our resources is worth it. More and more Brian's who we baptized today, more and more Dave's. That's what I'm inviting you to, but who cares what I'm inviting you to? That's what Jesus has invited you to be a part of and what a joy that is. So we're gonna just take a time to pray and reflect and I'm gonna lead us through just some things and then after that, Art Wilson, my brother's gonna come. You can go ahead and come up, Art, and he's gonna just uh, close our time in prayer and then we'll, we'll sing in response as we close. So if you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Lord, there's probably someone in this room who's saying, I'm empty. They don't have the motivation for mission because they don't have the heart for worship. And so Lord, I just pray right now that you would do whatever you have to do to get their attention on you and to see how valuable you are. And they would surrender to you. Lord, I know there's people in this room who they get excited when they hear a sermon like this or read something like this and then it, the excitement goes away because of the worries of this world and 
the needs they have and wants they have. And Lord, I'm not saying those needs and wants aren't valid, but help them to seek you first and trust that you will take care of them. Just encourage you to just pray that. God, help me to seek you first and to trust you that you will take care of me. And Lord, as a church family, help all of us to really just prioritize your kingdom. May your grace cover us and guide us as we try to do your work. And may it be done in a way that brings glory and honor to you. Just encourage you right now, just at your seat, just to pray, asking God to show to you what, how he would lead you to respond. And in just a minute or so, Arnold, lead us in prayer. come before you, Lord. Um, Father, I just feel like uh, confessing to you, Lord, that I'm sure there's been opportunities you've given me to have spiritual conversations with people that I've walked past. Lord, I pray your forgiveness for that. Lord, uh, Lord, you don't have to use us to uh, save people, Lord, but what a privilege it is that you offer us the opportunity to uh, to follow you and to serve and obey you, Father. And Lord, I just pray that as a church, Lord, that you would break all of our hearts for the lost, Father. That we can't be quiet. That uh, that we we would take advantage, whether it be in school, at work, wherever we go in recreation, Lord. That uh, we wouldn't bypass anybody without telling them of the greatest thing that ever happened in our lives. How can we keep that to ourselves, Father? Forgive us and help us to be an evangelistic church, Lord, to seek opportunities, to seek relationships. And Lord, uh, thank you we don't have to rely on ourselves because as your word says, you know, without me you can do nothing, but through you we can do all things through Christ. So, Lord, give us the boldness we need that this would be an evangelistic church and we would look forward to sharing our testimonies, to sharing the, the good news, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for all you've done and we thank you for all you're going to do, Father. Help us to rise up out of these chairs and to tell others the good news of our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, and I thank you for my church family, and uh, I love them and, and give you praise and thanks for them. In Christ's name we pray, amen.